And the title of this message is, So What's the Big Deal About the Bible? What's the big deal about the Bible? The Bible is truly a unique book. This week around this country, uh, certainly hundreds, maybe even thousands of people will stand up in courtrooms around the country, and they'll be a witness, and they'll stand up, and they'll put their hand on God's Word, and they'll take an oath that says, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? And their hand's on the Bible while they're saying that. Similarly to that, every four year, every four years, a president is sworn in uh, to this country as the, as the president of the U.S., and most of the time, he puts his hand on the Bible, and he takes his oath. Sometimes, soldiers, before they go off to war, take a Bible, and they put it in their pocket, or they put it in their gear, and they, and they go off to the battlefield. Uh, sick people, sick people like all over the world, laying in hospital beds, Sometimes they like to have a Bible read to them or they read it themselves. Funerals and weddings. Scripture is usually read at those events, sometimes. Uh, and tonight, even some of us, if we have young kids, are going to sit next to our kids before they go to sleep on their bed. And we'll sit next to them and take a few minutes to read some verses out of the Bible. Right? So the Bible is truly a very unique book. It's different than the other books. And I call it a book because it's, it's in a binding and it's between two covers. But to be more accurate, it's more of a library. It's more of a collection of 66 books. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. God, God had this book written over the span of about 1,500 years using at least 40 different people to write it. Today, at least part of the Bible, sometimes all of the Bible, has been translated in over 2,200 languages. That's a lot of languages. It is by far the most sold and most distributed book in the entire world. Second place isn't even close. It is truly a very unique book. So what makes it so unique? Why is it so special? Today we're going to look at that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I'd like for you to open up there with me if you haven't already. In just a few minutes, I'm going to read some verses out of there. But before I do, I want to put these verses in some context for you. Uh, Paul is writing this book, and it's really more of a letter. And he's writing this letter to his friend Timothy. Timothy is much younger. And at this time, Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul, as he writes this, is sitting in jail. He's sitting in a jail, which is a dungeon, and he's in Rome. This is the second time that Paul has been in jail. The first, uh, Paul's been in jail there in Rome. The first time was about five years before this. And at that time, he was under a house arrest. All right, so uh, at the time he was under the house arrest, he was able to still to still visit with people. People would come to him. He could still have a Christian ministry. He was able to share his faith. He was able to train people as they'd come to him and talk to him. Uh, he certainly had his own room, right? He had, he had more of a comfortable jail situation. Uh, and as we read the letters that were written during his first imprisonment, it's pretty clear that Paul expected to get out and to go free, which he did. His second imprisonment in the dungeon, not so much. 
Second uh, Timothy tells us that he's cold and he's alone. And as we read Second Timothy, we get a very strong sense that Paul had a very strong sense that he was going to be executed pretty soon. He pretty well shares us in this verse. He, he gives us some strong indication he knew he was going to die pretty soon. And of course he did. It was about four months later after he wrote this letter to Timothy that he was beheaded uh, by Nero. All right? So if I was to sum up 2 Timothy to you in one sentence, this is how I would say it. Paul is encouraging Timothy to persevere in proclaiming the gospel. So in other words, Paul is telling his good friend Timothy, he's saying, times are tough for the Christians. The world doesn't like us. They have persecuted us in the past. They are persecuting us today. And they are going to persecute us in the future. But Timothy, whatever you do, continue to preach the message of Jesus Christ. That's the theme here in 2 Timothy. That's, that's the main gist of this letter. So now, since we understand those things, I want us to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Follow along as I start reading in verse 10. It says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and in Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow, these verses got a lot to teach us. Uh, since we're focusing on the Bible this week and next week, I want us to focus in, though, on these verses that talk directly about the Bible. Uh, verse 16, let's start there. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, before I, I get into it too deeply, i got to be fair here to what Paul's saying to Timothy. When he says all Scripture, he's referring to the Old Testament here. Because obviously the New Testament hasn't been completed yet. The Old Testament has been completed at the time he's writing this. The New Testament, though, obviously God's still having, God's still having it written because we have Paul writing this letter. All right? But a little after this, as, we, as mankind gathered all the letters, it became apparent as they studied Scripture that the New Testament or the books that they included in the New Testament were also inspired. All right, so as Paul's talking to Timothy, he's talking about the Old Testament. But for our sake here today, I'm going to include scriptures as the entire Bible. All right, so let's start back in verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. Some of your Bibles say 
All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed and inspired come from the same Greek word. They mean the same thing, which is basically breathed out. All right. Uh, and we can spend a lot of time talking about how God did that, okay? Uh, and today, today's not the time where we're going to spend a lot of time discussing how God inspired the Word. Uh, and in fact, as we go about our life, we tend to use the word inspired, right? Some, you know, for instance, maybe someone goes to a piano concert and uh, they hear the beautiful piano being played and... Uh, Someone goes home and say, man, I have been inspired to learn how to play the piano, right? Or maybe in my case, about a month ago, I was wearing my, my pants, and my button popped off. That's embarrassing. Your button pops off in front of somebody. That's terrible. I'll tell you, at that point, I was inspired to lose weight, right? Right? Inspired. That's not what we mean. That basically means motivated. All right, I've been motivated to learn the piano, to play the piano. I've been motivated to lose weight, you know, whatever. All right, that's not what this means. This word, as Paul uses it, means this. That the word of God originated with God. The scriptures originated with God. And it's his message to mankind. All right? It originated with God. And again, we could talk a lot about how, how he did that, okay? How he inspired him. And that's a good conversation to have, just not this morning. I don't have the time to get into it, and that's kind of a long conversation. But so this morning, as we study this, the important thing to know is this originated with God. It's his message to us. It's his message to us. Now think about this. All right, so if God had this written over the span of about 1,500 years, and used 40 different people to do it, surely there is something very important in here for us to know, right? I mean, what's the Bible about? If it's, if it's that special, what's it about? It's a simple answer. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The Old Testament to the New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Don't be tricked or confused into thinking it's something else. It's not. It's all about Jesus. The Old Testament tells us how God prepared the way for Jesus to come to earth. The New Testament Gospels tell us about the life of Jesus. The rest of the New Testament tells us about the church and the people who follow Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything we know about Jesus is in this book. This is the only book that God inspired, that he gave to us. This is it, right here. Everything we know about Jesus comes out of here. Now, there's lots of other books that have been written, all right? And some of them are very good books, certainly worth reading, right? But if they're about Jesus, they're all, they all come back to this book, right? Everything we know about Jesus is in this book. So why is the Bible a big deal? What's the big deal? The big deal is that it is from God. It is God-inspired. It is his message to you and to me. And that sets it apart from every other book. Every other book. Um, 
I want you to think about something else. Since this is the book that teaches us about Jesus, and it's God's only inspired book, no wonder the devil has spent so much time trying to prevent us from reading the Bible, right? So the devil does, or like his strategy is what I call the 3D strategy. First, he tried to destroy the Bible. The devil has used various men in the last men in the last 2,000 years to try to remove the Bible from the face of the earth. Obviously, it didn't work because God's word is living and it's eternal and it will last forever. But he's tried. He tried to destroy the Bible. He tries to delegitimize the Bible. Oh, the Bible is outdated. It's outdated. Uh, it's not accurate. It's got flaws. It's got errors. We are beyond the Bible, right? We can send a man to the moon. We can split the atom. It's outdated. It's not relevant. It's not for us. Don't bother, right? We hear it all the time, right? He tried to destroy the Bible. He tries to delegitimize the Bible. And he tries to deter us from reading the Bible. I am too busy. I'm too busy. I got too much going on. I got to take the kids. I got to get the kids here. I got to go to work. I got to fix this. I got to go over here. I got this thing. I'm too busy to read the Bible. Oh, I am so tired. It's late. What time is it? Ooh, is it that late already? Ooh, I'm exhausted. I'll read the Bible tomorrow. I'm too tired to read the Bible. All right? All right. I'm too smart to read the Bible. And we would never say that. But let's face it, friends. We thank it. I can do life just fine on my own. Right? I don't need some ancient book telling me what to do. Destroy the Bible, delegitimize the Bible, deter us from reading the Bible. And friends, if a follower of Jesus Christ goes through a day and doesn't spend time picking up and reading the Bible, it's as if the devil has won even a tiny little victory in their life on that day. So what's the big deal about the Bible? It's God's inspired word to us. It's unlike any other book. So what's the Bible useful for? Okay, we've established the fact that it's from God, but what's it useful for? Well, these verses tell us. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. No, actually, verse 15. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Again. Everything we know about Jesus is right here. And the only way we know how to be saved from our sin is right here. There's no other way we, we learn it. This is it. This is what tells us. Um, some of you may be here this morning, and perhaps you aren't sure what I'm talking about. Saved, saved from my sin, salvation. What is that? I'm, I'm going to explain it to you. Every person on the face of the earth has sin. We inherit that sin. On top of that, we choose to sin every day. Right? God is holy. He's perfect. He is without sin. Always has been, always will be. Because of his holiness, he can't have anything to do with sin. Right? So we are separated from God because of our sin. That means that today you and I are forced to live our life on this earth carrying the burdens of our sin, the guilt of our sin, and the results of our sin. 
And not just on this earth, but because God has given us eternal spirits that will live forever. When we die, we can't go into God's presence because of our sin. We will be eternally separated from God in hell because of our sin. But God loves us too much to let that happen. So he did a miracle. And he sent his son Jesus to earth. Now why did it have to be Jesus? Because Jesus, God incarnate on earth, Jesus is the only perfect being who's ever lived. And it takes a perfect sacrifice to remove our sin. And there's only one, God incarnate, Jesus. So Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, never sinned. Died on the cross, rose from the grave, conquering sin. And now you and I can have our sins forgiven, right? But God requires something. He requires that you and I believe that Jesus is who he said he was while he was on earth, which is God, God's son. And then we have to receive the gift. We need to tell God that we understand we're sinners and need his forgiveness. If you've never done that, I hope today is that day. I'm going to quickly give you an idea about what you need to say, but ultimately, it's up to you to talk to God to make this choice. Your spouse can't do it. Your friend can't do it. Your church can't do it. Every person needs to make this choice on their own, right? Basically, the conversation should go something similar to this. God, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I'm tired of carrying the guilt and the sin around with me. Please forgive me. Through what your son Jesus did on the cross, forgive me. Please, God, bring me into your family. Show me how to live my life in a way that brings you glory. Empower me today to start living a godly life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. If you're here today, and if you make that choice, if you do that, please, please tell somebody, a friend, a staff member here at church, someone at church, a spouse, somebody who can, A, celebrate with you, and B, encourage you as you get to know God even better. So what's the Bible useful for? It teaches us how to be saved through our faith in Christ Jesus. It's the only book that does that. Let's keep reading, though. It's useful for something else. Verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible equips us. For every good work. Now, what's that phrase, good work, mean? Right? It certainly doesn't have anything to do with salvation. It's not that we earn our salvation through doing good works. I just talked about how we are saved from our sin. It's a gift from God. Right? That good work means God's work on earth. Right? And about how he includes us. He gives us the great privilege of being involved in his work. Right? To share the message and the love of Christ with the world around us. God's work on this earth. That's what it means when it says every good work. That's what it is. And God gives us that, that privilege. That's awesome. So how does he equip us to do that? Through his word. And it says through all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I'm going to spend a few minutes going through those words. Think about that first word, teaching. Teaching. Friends, in a world that has very, and I mean very, few absolutes, 
you and I need to know what's right. And as fallen human beings, sinful human beings, we aren't very good at figuring that out on our own. Just look around. Right? So God gave us his word to teach us, to teach us what's right. And then it says rebuking. The Random House Dictionary says that rebuking is a, a um, strong disapproval. Now, friends, none of us like being rebuked. We don't like being rebuked. It hurts our ego a little bit to be rebuked, right? But I'll tell you what. We all like being around people who have been rebuked. Let me tell you what I mean. Most of us have had the great joy of the experience of being in a grocery store. And there's a mom or dad pushing the grocery cart, and the cart is piled high, right? I mean, it's like one time a month shopping trip, right? And the cart is just packed with groceries, like a mountain of groceries. There somewhere in that cart, swimming around, is this little child with its head sticking out from the groceries. And this child's enthusiasm for this shopping trip has disappeared a long time ago. And the child is now starting to tell the parents. And a kind of a little whimper. Can we go home? I'm ready to go home. That doesn't last long. It gets a little bit louder, right? Mom, take me home. And then it starts starts screaming and starts yelling. And then it gets loud. Perhaps after a while, groceries start to find their way out of the cart. Right? And at this point... Everyone in the aisle, maybe in the store, is thinking the same thing. That child needs to be rebuked, right? The child needs to be rebuked. Now, fast forward 20 years, okay? Take that child, and let's say that that child has never been rebuked, all right, at the age of 20, 25, or whatever. What's that that child, now adult, going to be like? I can promise you, not anyone that I want to hang around with, right? Right? See, we don't like being rebuked, but we like being around people who have been rebuked because that rebuking helps shape our character. And God, and God, as we read the Bible, rebukes us, all right? And then correcting. All Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. Correcting is when we get taken off the wrong road and we get put back onto the right road. Let me illustrate it like this. About 15 years ago, and I've, I've shared part of this story before, but I had the wonderful privilege to go to Israel to visit my uncle who was a missionary there for many years. And so when I was there in Israel, he took us down to a, to a part of Jerusalem that was uh, Jewish, and it was the Sabbath day. It was Saturday. So it was their Sabbath. All right? And on that day, in this area of Jerusalem, it is, it is against their law to drive a car. And uh, because that's working again, that would be against the Jewish law there. All right. So, uh, so my uncle and my friend and I are walking down the sidewalk uh, during their Sabbath. And this car turns the corner behind us and starts to drive up the street while we're in the spot where we are, where no cars are allowed to be driven. And, uh, and as you look over at him, you can kind of tell he was kind of uncertain about what he was doing, where he was going. 
As soon as, my, as soon as my uncle sees this, he's about 60 years old at the time, and I had never seen him run before, but he takes off running, this old man running down the street. And he catches up with the car, right? And he pounds on the back of the car, on the trunk, and he, and he gets the driver's attention. And he talks to the driver there in Arabic, and he's talking to the driver, and he says, you can't drive on this road. Don't go down this road. You're heading for a lot of trouble. You're going to get in a lot of hot water if you keep going down this road. Turn around, go back out the way you came in, and get on a different road. Friends, we all need that at some time, don't we? We all need that. Sometimes we find ourselves on the wrong road by choice. Just simple rebellion. Sometimes we find ourselves on the wrong road. We just kind of wandered on there, really. Uh, we just ended up there, whatever. And God will use his word to correct us, to put us back on the right road. Sometimes it's a tweak. Sometimes it's an entire like, overhaul, right? I mean, everything's got to be redone. But either way, God wants to correct us as we read the Bible. Teaching, rebuking, correcting. Let me put it this way. The Bible teaches us what's right. Teaches us what's not right, rebuking. And teaches us how to get right, correcting. But there's one more. Training in righteousness. Think of the professional, the professional athlete. All right. It's game day, and the athlete shows up on the court or in the field, on the golf course or whatever. All right. And they are ready to perform at their highest capacity on game day. All right. They didn't just roll out of bed ready to go perform. They've been in training for years, practicing, working out, exercising, right? Talking to the coach, getting coached, reading the playbook, staying in shape, eating right. They've been in training so that they can perform on game day. Friends, you and I want God wants us to be healthy and ready, ready for the job that he gives us, right? Because all of us, as we live our Christian life, God's got a good work for us to do. But we won't be ready to perform if we aren't training in righteousness, if we aren't reading the Bible. The Bible is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It teaches us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. All right. The first question I asked you this morning was this. What's the big deal about the Bible? The big deal is it's God's inspired word. It's the only one. And it's for his creation to read. What's the Bible useful for? It is useful for making us wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, one, and then two, for, for equipping us to do every good work. I got one more question for you today before we leave. So what do we have to do? What's our job? Well, friends, we've got to read the Bible. And not just read it, we've got to apply the Bible to our life. This morning is a little gift to you. I'm going to make us all some pancakes. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for pancakes? If you eat these pancakes, you won't be hungry for lunch. You'll just be ready to go. You can go right out into the snow and just start playing in the snow. 
So I've got the pancake batter, and to be fair, really, I have the ingredients to make a pancake, but I don't have a, a, I don't have a stove, I don't have a griddle, but we're going to get started with what I do have. I chose blue because it's my favorite color. So let me, let me put this on. I think we're going out to eat afterwards, and I don't want to have pancake batter all over me. All right. So I've got the Bisquick. I've got the vegetable oil, some sugar, some syrup, some chocolate chips, some baking powder, some vanilla, a spoon, a bowl to mix things in, some milk, and some eggs. Everything for what this Bisquick box calls the ultimate pancake. <laughs> and it is going to be good. I got to admit, I'm not a cook. In fact, I think my wife is continually amazed about how little about cooking I actually know. All right. My name is Baker. I come from a long line of bakers. <laughs> but I assure you, I'm no baker. All right. Now, the experts who made the Bisquick put on this box some directions for me to know how to make pancakes. But friends, how hard can it be? It can't be that hard. I've seen my wife do this a lot. It's not that hard. So, I'm going to begin making pancakes. We'll take some Bisquick and put it in our mixing bowl. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> All right. Some eggs. And this is where things can get really messy. All right. Some eggs. I feel like I need like, uh, some background music playing. Ray, what's her name? Something Ray? Does she always have background music playing when she does her cooking? Yeah, Rachel Ray. All right, some eggs. Some eggs. All right, eggs have been included. Some milk. I'll put some milk in here. Vegetable oil. Still not sure why food it takes oil, but whatever. Vegetable oil. Some sugar. We love sugar. Amen for the sugar. Let's put some sugar in there. All right. Did I put the baking powder in already? I don't remember. Baking powder. I really have no idea what this is used for either, but whatever. All right. And some vanilla. All right. We are ready to mix. And I love chocolate. Any chocolate lovers in the house? All right, then. Let's load this baby up with some chocolate. All right. All right. <laughs> I told you, I like chocolate. That's no lie. All right. Syrup, we'll save this syrup for later. All right. And we mix the pancakes batter. We mix the pancake batter up. Now, 
is there anyone here who would like to take this batter home and eat it for lunch? No one in their right mind is going to eat this pancake batter. Right? Why? I said it shouldn't be that hard, right? It shouldn't be that hard. Excuse me, I got this crazy cold. Sorry. Sniffle for the next, next two hours. Or not, not, not two hours. All right. So, no one wants to eat this. I mean, that's just gross. That's just gross. Friends, I didn't make pancakes. I didn't make pancake batter. You know what I made? I made a mess. That's what I made. I made a mess. It's a silly illustration. But you get my point. The experts at Bisquick told me how to make the pancakes. And I didn't read the instructions. And I would have no idea how to make pancakes if it wasn't for the directions on the box. Friends, you and I, friends, you and I know someone, probably. Maybe that someone is ourselves, who have made a mess. A mess. And not a mess in the kitchen that's easy to clean up. I'm talking about a mess in life. And the heartache. Wow, the heartache, the unnecessary heartache. Because the Word of God was sitting within an arm's distance away, an arm's distance away, ready to be read, ready to be applied. But I'm too busy. I'm too tired. It's too confusing. I'm too smart. Whatever. Whatever. And all the heartache. Friends, some of my very good friends. Wow, the heartache. Right? And some of you may be thinking here, sitting here thinking, Dan, that's me. That's me. You should see the mess I'm in now, Dan. And Dan, I've been in this mess a long time. And you might be thinking, there's no way you can get out of this mess. And I would probably agree with you. There's no way you probably get out of the mess. But friends, God is bigger than your mess. God is bigger than your mess. And God is great at taking messes and making something beautiful out of them. That's what he does. I don't know. If you find yourself in a mess today, I don't know how you got there. It's none of my business. And if you haven't started already, let me encourage you today. Pick it up. Pick it up and start reading it. And don't just read it. Apply it. God will teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. He wants to teach us how to be saved 
first off. And then he wants to equip us to do every good work, to do his work on this earth. There's no greater privilege in the world than, than to be God's hands and feet, taking the message and the love of Christ to the world. Right? No matter what the situation is you're in, whether it's desperate or not desperate, I encourage you, I beg you, pick up the Bible and watch God start to work. I'm not saying there's not going to be any heartache. All right? I'm not saying there won't be any heartache or heartbreaks if we read the Bible. That's simply not true. But I promise you this. We will save ourselves a lot of unnecessary heartache that we go through when we choose not to read it. Sure, there'll be troubles. But we'll have God's word there to help us through it. All right? And I have some friends that I've known since young, since I was very young. And maybe some of you here, high school or college age, right? Now think about those friends. Wow, the heartache they could have saved themselves if they would have read and applied the word of God. If you're younger here today, man, start now. Start now. If you're older here today, it's never too late to start. God's word. What's the big deal about the Bible? It's God's inspired word to you and to me to show us how to live our life. A successful Christian life that brings him glory. What's it useful for? For making us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And for preparing us to do every good work. It's the one of a kind. It's one of a kind. There is no other book out there that can come remotely close to it. Because it's God's inspired book. He loves us so much, friends. He loves us so much. He didn't just create us, leave us floundering around here. No, he gave us a book from him to read, to let him teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us. I hope, I hope, and probably most of us read it every day. If not, a start. Let's watch God at work. Let's see what he does. He'll do something awesome. Pray with me, please. Dear God, we thank you so much for giving us your word, your inspired holy scriptures that teach us to rebuke us, to correct us, to train us, to show us the way to salvation and to equip us for every good work. Wow, what an act of love. Thank you, God, for that act of love, for giving us your word to help us, to strengthen us, to guide us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to convict us. Thank you. God, I ask that you cause us to read it. Give us the discipline, the hunger, the desire to read it and to apply it to our lives. God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us your son, that you gave us your word, that you give us your spirit. And God, I pray that each one of us here will enjoy the fullness of that every day. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.